And hello, everybody. Welcome to FSU Coach Live. My name is Tim Vanekhurst, and today's guest is Chris McKnight. He has a has had many roles in baseball. So, Chris, without me trying to introduce your history, maybe you'll just give us a little bit of a background of of where you came from and what you're doing today. Sure, I appreciate you having me on, Tim. My pleasure. Uh, so, I started as a high school coach way back in uh, 1988 with a uh, varsity position at a military academy. Um, I was fortunate that um, one of the AD trusted a young 23-year-old kid to come in and um, take over the program. Uh, I I coached there for only a year, but in that year period, um, made some good relationships, and I I got offered a a coaching job at, at the State University of New York Old Westbury, uh, started the baseball program there. And uh, from that point, moved on to Dowling College, was the uh, associate AD and uh, assistant coach and then head baseball coach there. Uh, Moved on to Frostburg State um, in Maryland and was the associate AD and head baseball coach there. Um, And after, after the college, my college career, Coached in professional baseball for two years down in Texas uh, and then did some scouting with the Phillies and the Orioles. And I am currently the uh, vice president of Tuckahoe Sports, which is an indoor baseball softball uh, facility uh, located in Richmond, Virginia. One of the things that I, I consistently hear for, from coaches who have been in the, in the field for a long time is, is that constant moving around. And I'm curious what that was like for you, because you just mentioned, and, and even before the show, you're talking about some of the different states you've lived in. You obviously spend a lot of time in the road as a, a coach and a scout. How, do, how, does, how does that work with having a family and, and just being away so much? How do you stay stable, I guess, is the question I'm asking. Yeah, no, and I think one of the, one of the key things is I met my wife when I was, when I was coaching already. So she kind of had a pretty good idea of what my schedule was going to be like moving forward. So that you have to have a, a very supportive spouse. Number one, I think that's incredibly important to make to make all this work. Um, but the other thing is that when you have that downtime, um, and there's not a ton of it, but when you do have downtime, you have to make sure that it's it's spent with with the family and, and trying to do things and engage with them. Um, on a regular basis. You know, my wife was great with the kids. She, she'd come out to most of the games, um, you know, in college when we were home and even some of the championship series when we were playing away, she would come bring the kids. Um, so had a really good family support, on, you know, on that end. And, and then also, you know, just being the wife of a coach, like you alluded to, the, the moving around, you, you have to move. I mean, that, that's the nature of the game. And you know, I was lucky. I was at I was at Dowling for ten and a half years, and then I was at Frostburg for eight years. So um, it wasn't, I think, as much as it is today, moving around. You know, especially nowadays, coaches it seems like three or four years, but that's the nature of the business, um, and and you have to be willing to to do that uh, to, in, in order to to keep moving. You know, if you want to keep moving up, and depending upon where you're at, if you're a grad assistant you're probably not going to stay there for more than two or two or three years. And then after that, as an assistant, if you want to move up to a head coach, you're going to have to move. So I think that's just part of the gig and people have to 
have to realize that before they even get into this profession. Yeah. You, you've also coached across different generations of players. And I'm curious, you, you know, sometimes we hear, well, kids these days aren't the same as they were 20 years ago. And have, have you noticed that? And do you find that you have to coach differently now than you did say back in the, the 80s when you started? Yeah, I think I think there's a little bit of, of coaching difference right now. I, 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 for me, I think the most important thing really is just setting your standards, um, you know, right away. Once once you set your standards and, and you have an idea of what you want to get across to the kids, I, I don't think that's changed. I, I, you know, kids want structure. Uh, I think they they like it. And, and also, I think they need it to, to perform. So uh, I, I haven't changed that part much. I, I think you know, nowadays, um, you know, the old school coaching about in your face, that, that doesn't work anymore. Um, I, I think you still have to be stern, but you, you also have to bring a side of the compassion, you know, to it. And just remember back when you were playing, what you liked as a coach, what you didn't like as a coach. And I try to, I, I remember my, my coach from, I think I was eight years old in, in Sable Little League. I still remember the guy. And mm-hmm. You asked me who my 12 or 13 year old coach was. I, if you gave me a million dollars today, I couldn't tell you because he was the guy that was in your face all the time. You made an error when you were running into the dugout. He was, you know, barking something at you. I, I, I couldn't tell you his name, but mm-hmm. I remember the eight year old guy because he was one of the guys that would talk to you before the game, would talk to you after the game, win, lose or draw. You know, I remember him bringing pretzels, you know, big, big jar of pretzels for everybody at the end of the game, you know, goofy little things like that. But I, I think, think those are the guys that that you stay, you know, connected to. Um, and, and I think it will help, you know, in your career as well. It's a great point. And I, and I think the small things matter. And a lot of coaches forget that, you know, the little thank you notes or you know, as you talked about, even just the snacks, you remember the snacks from way back and it it makes a difference. Um, One of the reasons that I was really interested in talking to you is because you, you were a scout and it's, uh, it's not a a frequent position that I see somebody as their profession. So I'm curious if you could tell us a little bit about what that was like being a scout, what your roles and responsibilities were, what you looked for in an athlete to, to evaluate them, how you evaluated them, and and then how, multiple questions here, but I'm very curious, right? How how did you know when you, you know, found that player who was, you know, that hidden gem to say this, we need this player? Um, because it's it's a lot of guesswork at times, I imagine. Yeah, I, you know, scouting is not, is definitely not a science. Uh, you know, a lot of it when, you know, scouting pictures, everybody sees the radar gun. And of course, you know, nowadays that is definitely a little easier, you know, scouting pitchers because you can see their, the velocity, you can see the break on the ball, you can do take video, but a a lot of the intangibles, I think that's where the the individual scouts, that's where it comes into play. Um, You know, digging deeper, uh, you, you can't, there's no tool out there to measure someone's heart or, you know, or their desire. And that that's a lot to be said you know, in, nowadays in Major League Baseball. You know, it's all about, you know, the analytics. And believe me, I, you know, I when I first started coaching, we had a, a video machine that was almost as big as my TV at home. So we, we, we used to use video, but 
there was really no slow motion. You couldn't break things down. Nowadays, with with all the technology out there, it's it's a they're great teaching tools, but I think there's an over reliance on them because again, as as a scout, you don't have those at your disposal when you're watching a kid in high school or junior college, um, or even in the the minor leagues for for trades. So you have to really dig a little deeper past his skill. You know, watch his body language. You know, on the mound, watch his body language after they strike out, make an error. You know, what do they do? When they get taken out of a game as a pitcher or a position player, um, you know, you, you can learn a lot from a player. I, I, I used to try to get to games an hour before. Watch watch how he walks into the dugout, the high school kid. Watch what how he's dressed, you know, if he's not dressed when he's coming in. what You know, it, it, when he plays catch, is he focused on, on his catch routine or is he just throwing the ball back and forth? Um, and, and interaction with his coaches and his teammates. Um, I used to tell my guys all the time, I used to love doing home visits. I know it's probably not as big anymore, but when I first started coaching, that was a big piece for me because I got to see the kid in his natural environment and I got to see how he interacted with his parents. And and for me, if they had a, a poor interaction with their parents, I don't want that kid. If he's a 17-year-old and he has just poor interaction with his parents, he's not going to do well with me. You know, and he's not going to do well with other adults, you know, at the university setting. So I think all those little intangibles play play a big role. You know, the physical tools, everybody's got different opinions on guys. But for the most part, that everybody, you know, I, I don't think you've put 10 scouts in a room. The physical tools, they might differ on one or two little things. But this running speed, you know, it is what it is. The velocity is what it is. The exit velo off the bat is what it is these days. You know, so – that there's there's some things that are, are definitely easier to detect in a, in a player, but I, I also think that's why you need the scouts still, and you just can't rely on numbers to see if a kid is going to – you take an 18-year-old kid and you draft him and you put him in the middle of nowhere in Iowa and he's never been away from his parents, he's never been – you know, had the pressure of playing and now he's getting paid to do a job, and there's really not a lot of support there. If that kid doesn't is not strong, you know, mentally and, and physically, he's going to have a tough time. So mm-hmm. before you invest, you know, five hundred million dollars in a player, you, they, you have to know about those things. All great points, and and I think one of the ones you mentioned right at the end is is something that a lot of athletes don't realize happen, which is they're playing for fun or they're playing in college with a scholarship. And they have that win or lose, but all of a sudden now they're playing and there's money associated with it and success and failure affects whether they do or don't get paid. You see some struggles with some of these players when suddenly money starts to become a, a factor in their, their game. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, even, even at the level that I was coaching um, down in Texas, they weren't getting paid, you know, a heck of a lot of money, but you know, it, it was, a, a perform or if you're not performing in two weeks, the GM would call you up to the office and he would get the next guy in. Mm-hmm. And that was the work really for me. That was the worst part of the, the, the job being the manager, you know, telling a guy to have to, cause they knew why they were going <laughs> to the GM's office. You know, it wasn't to get a bonus. It, it was to get, you know, a bus ticket home. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, it definitely, the pressure is definitely there. And that's why I think, you know, the mental part, of the game um, 
has come to the forefront now. And, and I know there's a couple of uh, every major league club's got, you know, a sports mental performance director or a sports psychologist, whatever you want to, you know, call them. But, and there's some, there are some great ones out there. And the ones that I listened to, I, we had one, I hired, you know, one for my college team. And I can tell you that I wish I would have did it years before because the difference that it made um, for our athletes, an athlete's not going to come to the head coach and walk up to me and say, Hey coach, you know what? I'm nervous when I get on the mound because in their mind, if they say that, I'm not going to put them on the mound then in a big game. I'm not going to throw that kid up there, but they, they knew they had the confidentiality to go speak with our sports psychologist and talk about anything. And, and I saw a difference in some of the players in their performance, just because they were more relaxed, you know, and they were having fun while still taking it, you know, seriously. So yeah, that, I think that that's one of the great strides I think in the last couple of years for athletics in general, but especially for baseball, um, that, that it's helped, you know, a ton of athletes. You've coached across the levels. What, what are some of the challenges that you would say are, you know, most prevalent for you, or, you know, if somebody's wanting to become a coach, what are some of the things that they need to be, be aware of that, that you struggled with, um, whether it be in college or high school pro, whatever. Yeah, I, I think like you mentioned before, the family thing, if, if you do have a family, that that is definitely something that you have to always keep, um, you know, at the forefront because it, it's an ever evolving. No days the same at all. Um, I, I know when I was coaching in college, a lot of the times we had to do visits, you know, in the off season on the weekends because that's when parents and, and players were available. So I had to make sure that, you know, that whatever I was doing with my family, I we, we mapped it out and I always set aside time, you know, for them. I had two daughter, young daughters at the time. So, um, and they were very active. So I had to make sure that we, we spaced out time for that. But, and even, you know, on, on the pro level, being away from home for five or six months at a clip, you know, everybody was like, Oh, just fly your family down. So, well, you know, when you're coaching at my, league baseball you don't have the money to fly you're not making two million dollars a year to fly your family you know all over the place so it it's definitely um you know the family thing is challenging but i think you know time management skills are if, if you can manage your time and and a goal set i think you could be very successful in the business i just i've seen a lot of coaches you know, falter with the family or with, you know, the professional end of it, you know, success with whatever you measure success. And just because they haven't managed their time or, you know, they don't goal set. And we always talk about that with the kids and you think coaches would be better at that because we're always talking about, you know, the vision board and the goal setting. And I, you give them paperwork all the time about setting your individual goals. But I think sometimes, you know, my colleagues and myself, you know, I've even found it. You just get so caught up in the season that you forget about, you know, what, what's the ultimate, what's, what's really the goal here, you know, for each, for each level that you coach at. Well, before we started, we were just talking about coaching education in general. And, and you've, I suspect for a large part, I've had to learn as you go, just because there hasn't been the, the training and education that's available today. When you look at, at coaches that you've talked about maybe not succeeding or, or struggling, what are areas that you feel 
you know, such as someone like myself who offers coaching education, what things, what topics are, do you think are a priority that coaches need to be knowledgeable about when they go into the coaching profession? Yeah, I, that, that's a great question. I, you know, I think the, the one, the most important thing is the mental piece, you know, making sure that you, you take, you take care of yourself first, because if you're not taking care of yourself, you know, mentally and physically, it, it, it's a tough job. And, you know, a lot of times it's seven days a week during the season or your know, recruiting season. And you have a lot of responsibility. You know, you have respond as a head coach, you have responsibility, not just for yourself, but to all your assistant coaches right. and, and every player in your program. So you have to be at the top of your game in order to make sure everybody else you can take care of everybody else i i think that's number one you know how to, and part of that is managing stress because i don't care what anybody says you know even if it's not stress from the university or your program that you're working in coaches put their own internal stress on and and how you handle that internal stress i think is is critical uh, you know how you handle that stress excuse me can i ask how you handle that stress yeah, you know, um, my my thing was I I would always I I made it a point net when I got in my car or got on the bus and when, and when I got home, I I would tell myself, hey, it's done. You know, win, lose, or draw, I'm I'm back. My kids could care less right. if I won or lost. I mean, they, you know, they, and as they got older, yeah, they were more into it, of course, because they they understood it a little more. But they went when they were younger they could care less and even at the professional level you know of course i wanted to win our guys wanted to win but you know there there'd sometimes be games where a pitcher wouldn't throw well and there'd be kids you know lined up outside the dugout with his card and the guy would be sitting in the dugout and i'd say dude you, you need to get up and get out there we're like oh they don't, i don't really want to talk to anybody so that eight-year-old kid doesn't care you know, he's got your card he wants your autograph this this is like this is big time for him so I think, you know, guys, they have to realize in this profession that everybody wants to be successful. Everybody wants to win. I, you know, you get that. But there, there's different ways to define winning. And I think if you can balance, you know, your home life and show the players that you're with and the, and the kids in your program and the families that you care about them, that, that you're going to win. You know, it, even if it doesn't show up on the numbers, you're going to win. And again, I know at college, Hey, listen, my, I knew, I looked at my evaluation. The first thing on my eval was, you know, wins and losses, right. you know, and next was GPA and, you know, retention. I, I understand that, but I think if they, if you focus on those things, the, the other things kind of take care of themselves. Now, just a reminder, if you're, you're joining us, we're talking with Chris McKnight. If you have a question, just put it in the chat box, whatever platform you're watching on, and, and we'll get it to him. I'd like to talk a little bit about what you're doing right now, because you're away from the college, you're away from the professional, and you're working, um, uh, as you talked about at the beginning, with, with a large group of teams and, and baseball players at the junior level. Can you explain a little bit about your, your job and your roles and responsibilities? Because it's important, I think, for people to understand that coaching, that term coaching encompasses a lot of different employment opportunities. And, and you, you have a, an interesting position. So, so, you know, share a little bit about what you do. Sure. Well, right now I, I am the uh, vice president of a uh, 
nonprofit baseball facility called Tuckahoe Sports. Uh, we're located in uh, Richmond, Virginia. And uh, I, I, my job is pretty unique. I, I still get to coach a little bit. Um, I, I, I coach uh, our teams, two of our teams here, our, our uh, 2024 team and our 2025 team for baseball. So that keeps me keeps me busy a couple of nights a week coaching them. But really, my main role is the, the development of the baseball and softball programs here and trying to make sure that our kids get a good baseball softball education. But also um, we, we touch on the community service leadership. Uh, we spend a lot of time with our guys on recruiting. Um, so I kind of have a multi multi faceted, you know, wear a lot of different hats, almost like in college at a smaller college program where you had to rake the field, cut the grass. It, it's kind of the same thing here. You know, we kind of do a little bit of everything, but it, it, it's really fun because you get to see the development of kids when we had on our program from eight and you watch them go through the program and you see, they get an opportunity to play at the next level. They get to play in college and, you know, you had a small piece of helping that athlete reach their goals that that's what's really cool about it. Yeah. And um, one of the things that, that you have is you have a, where you are in Virginia, you have academies around you as well that are dedicated to baseball. And so even though it's a nonprofit, you're still competitive because you want, you want athletes in your program as opposed to other programs. You've been successful. You've seen growth in your programs over the last, I think you said five years that you were working there. What is it about your programs that attract, you know, kids and parents to, to come into your programs and stay there? Yeah, I, I think one of the biggest things is that you have to be honest with the players and the parents. Um, part part what, of our what do you mean by that? Be, be honest. Tell them they're not a good player. They don't have. You know, do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think we when we when I say that I, we we do a player evaluation for every single player in our program. So we sit down with the player and their parents, and it's a 13-point eval that we go over, you know, the basics, hitting, throwing, fielding, you know, some, some of all the things in scouting. But also we, we had a piece to the back of it that talked about, you know, character development, um, which is, to me, critical um, for, for an athlete. But then also we kind of give them the, you know, their OFP, you know, overall future potential, where mm -hmm. we see that player right now, and what he has to do or she has to do to become better and then outline a course of action for them, what they need to do. And I, I think that's what's, what I meant by being honest is that we don't sugarcoat anything. You know, of course, when they're eight or nine, they got to get better at everything. So <laughs> that's not. But when they start getting to high school and, and they start having specific goals they want to reach or schools. If a kid gives me a power five school for baseball and, and I know that kid is a division three player, I got to tell that kid because I, I got to be honest with them and say, listen, your skill level, you, you might think you want to go to school there and that's great. And, you know, and there's nothing wrong with having a dream school, but if you really want to play at the next level, this is where you need to be looking, you know? And for me, I, I think if you get to play at any college level, you're you're a very good player. I mean, you know, the NCAA has that stat: seven percent of all high school players you know, get to play NCA, you know, Division one, two, or three. So you got to be better than ninety three percent. That you're you're pretty good. 
you know, you, you get to play any of those levels or junior college and NAI. So I think people get hung up sometimes on divisions, but that's our job then as, as coaches who are up front. Uh, and some people initially, you know, I, more the kids than the parents, uh, but some parents as well, they, they don't take that great the first time because they just have this dream and go, and, and that's fine. But the, our job is to bring them back down to reality and say, hey, this is where you're at. And if you want to try to shoot for that school, hey, these are the parameters that these are the numbers that I can give people, you know, numbers, what they have to be at even to get somebody to look at them. You know, you're throwing 81 and you're telling me you want to be in a power five school and you're a junior in high school. You, you got some work to do, <laughs> you know, to to get to that, you know. And again, there's potential but that word is thrown around a lot and i i think it's a it's a way as it escape people can they use it to escape the the truth or the reality i'd rather be up front and, and tell look at this what you have to really work hard and and outline what they have to do give them the roadmap to success and if they follow it great if they don't okay well you know that's that's on them then because we we write them we keep them i keep a file on all of them and year to year we, we look at it and make sure everybody's on the same path you mentioned in in scouting you're you're not just looking for a player's technique and their performance on the mound or, or or hitting or whatever it is you're looking for those intangibles and then you also talked about it just now in, in looking at you know our players are they able to produce on the field but then there's these intangibles how do you how do you train those intangibles in your athletes? Do you have support personnel to come in to teach, for example, about nutrition, about the mental performance, uh, about some of these other things that aren't necessarily related directly to baseball? Yeah, we do. And, that, and that's I think that's another piece of the program. Um, we, we have a sports nutritionist that that works with the athletes. Um, in the past, I, I brought in um, some Coaches, uh, Steve Springer, for instance, from uh, he was with the Toronto Blue Jays. He was the mental performance coach for the Blue Jays. And he talked for about an hour and a half. We didn't talk one thing about how to hold the bat or swing or throw. It was all about, you know, the success rate and the failure rate in baseball and softball and how you have to deal with that failure rate and how you deal with that failure rate. It depends upon how, how good of a player you're going to become you know, down the road, even at the early ages. Um, so and we reinforce that with our guys because it has to be reinforced. I think, again, the mental part, you ask anybody, I, I do a fun experiment with my guys the first day of practice, just asking how much of the game you think is mental. And I get answers from 50 to 90. And, and the one thing I pose back to them, okay, so the, whatever number you told me, are you practicing that number at home? And all of them, every single one of them go, no. Mm -hmm. So, and it could be easy as, you know, we do some visualization skills, some self-talk, positive self-talk, you know, mm -hmm. breathing, wh whatever works for that individual player, but they, they have to adopt something on that mental part because it, it is a game of failure and how you react to that failure and how you rebound off that failure is going to determine what type of a player you become. Yeah, that's a great response. Just in closing, thinking about coaching as a whole and what you've seen across the, the, the many years you've been doing it, for those looking to either improve as coaches or, or get into coaching, what one or two things 
would you give them as far as advice? I'll tell you, one, one of the things that, that I got advice really young and, and I took it to heart, I, I found people that were successful in the business um, and I made sure I, I got to know them. And a lot of it was just, you know, walking up to people and saying, hey, you know, introducing myself. I'm a, I'm a young coach. I'd love to talk to you sometime. Or um, I remember this one guy, he used to coach at St. John's University. And uh, on Friday nights, he was a bartender. And I used to go down to the bar and hang out for like an hour with him when he had some slow time and just sit there, have a Coke and talk to him and ask him questions. And he loved it. And I, I mean, I always told him I, I got so much more out of it then. But people, when you go up to them and you talk to them about their profession and and you're asking them their advice because they were successful, you know, they, the people enjoy that. Um, and they get to relive some stuff through it. And I, I do it now with my guys when they come up and talk to me, the guys who I've coached, you know, 25 years ago, they're coaching now. And they say, hey, you know, coach, what would you do in this situation? It, it's great. So I, I would say that's number one. Um, and number two, you know, work as many clinics, camps. I, I worked so many camps and clinics. Sometimes I worked them for free just to get my foot in the door and meet different people and learn different techniques. I think this is a profession that if you really put the time and effort in, you, you can be successful. And again, whatever level you're at, whether it's high school, you know, college, professionally, there's so many opportunities nowadays with so many leagues and, and so much overseas, uh, you know, baseball opportunities, softball opportunities overseas. It, it's great. If somebody really wants to get into the coaching profession, it, I think it's a great time to do it. Um, there's a lot more education out there, like stuff that we're doing online, the the coaching organizations. I know for, for baseball, I've been a member of the American Baseball Coach Association for 28, 29 years. You know, go to the convention every year. My wife laughs sometimes because she said, you know, you we go every year. What's the and I said, I, I go every year. I learn something new every year. You know, just because you can't keep up with the technology or all the things that are coming out to help you become a better coach. I think you just have to you have to be very active and doing that. And I think those two things are are critical. And I took the advice of those guys, you know, early on and I tried to do all that. And that's helped me uh, greatly in my career. Yeah, we, we may have one or two training opportunities here at FSU as well. For those of you watching interested, um, segue into that because I think a, a lot of people might be interested in reaching out to you because you just talked about mentorship and networking and things. What's the best way for somebody to reach out to you if they have a question and want to follow up with you? Yeah, sure. Um, they could just email me if they like at uh, j9andcoach at gmail.com. Um, you could call me. I mean, I, you can call me at my office. It's 804 360-3395. I'm always happy to talk to anybody that wants to get into this profession. I, I think it's the one of the, the greatest professions, you know, around. You get to help people reach their goals and realize their dreams, you know, educationally and athletically. I mean, you, you can't beat that. And and to see somebody actually get to that point or give them an opportunity to play in college and the things that they get out of it, besides just playing the sport, the camaraderie and uh, the friendships that you create for the, probably the rest of your life, 
um, it, it is awesome. Well, Chris, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate your insight and uh, perspective. And of course, those of you watching or listening, if you haven't yet subscribed to the YouTube channel or the podcast, be sure to do so. I'm trying to do these every week. So we'll have another guest coming up next week. But on behalf of myself, Tim Backhurst and Chris McKnight, thank you so much for watching.